It's a thousand one LA nights. I'm LA Rivers with you on episode 10. Episode 10. I've been a little bit quiet. Uh, it's not that I haven't been writing. I got derailed by some short stories that aren't in this uh, body of work. Um, still working on one for uh, submission into a literary magazine. And while I was derailed, this story, 1001 LA Nights, uh, started coming together even better because like I've talked about before, I really don't feel like I can write the seven-day escape out of the Middle East back to the States and the story of going to LA and restarting my life as separate stories because they're one story. And I was trying to figure out how to plug in the story of the escape. Do I tell it to somebody? Is it something that comes out as a short story? Is it reference between my daughter and I, which of course we did talk a lot about during that time. And then I thought, no, it starts the story because it's what makes sense. Because in the leaving, And I kind of wanted to bypass some of these feelings. If you've ever gone through something traumatic, you know how hard it is to come face to face with it again and again and again. And once you're past it, sometimes you just don't really feel like dipping back down into those feelings. And I just reminded myself, you know, that I've done all the work a person can do and then some. And that these these stories, the the vignettes, the moments, the scenes, I can watch them as an observer and not be triggered by them. And when I start to feel uncomfortable or I start to feel sad, and I don't mind feeling sad, it's more when the fear raises up because that was one of the things, the last bit of the healing from the escape was when my daughter and I first started driving down to LA back in, uh, it, well, it was for New Year's, January 15, 2015. And um, I kept saying, you know, it feels like we're escaping again. You know, and why did I drive? Well, she was terrified to fly. She hadn't been in an airplane uh, since we had left the Middle East. And she was just absolutely panicked at the thought of it. And that's why we drove all those trips to L.A., all those trips. And it still felt like we were escaping, even though it was a very different scenario. We were running to building our lives, but it still felt like we were running away from just severe dysfunction. And so today's vignette is the beginning. It is the day in 1998 when I knew I was going to be leaving him and he was leaving for Switzerland uh, to go for some training for the bank he worked for. And so it starts there. I look forward to your feedback. If you have things you want to know or ask questions about, or if there's something you feel could be expanded, I'd love to hear from you because I I think it's a beautiful story in a lot of ways. Yes, there's a lot of tragedy, but there's a lot of beauty and a lot of love that comes out of it, especially self-love. 
And that is really the key to 1001 LA Nights. So without further ado, I'm going to read to you and then we will um, kind of talk a little bit. You can join me in Patreon. You can join me at my blog, 1001 LA Nights. I'll put the link into the um, into the description here. And you can join me at Nights underscore LA on Twitter. Look forward to seeing you there. October 11th, 1998, Sharjah, United Arab Emirates. You've got your paperwork in the briefcase? I asked Rashid, fixing the collar of his white shirt and running my hand down the lapel of his navy blue double-breasted suit. Yes, I, I've got it all, he said absently as he fiddled with his car keys and grabbed his suitcase. Then he turned and looked at me and smiled. You're a good girl, Lori. You've always had my back. Tears pricked my eyes. My heart pounded. No, I don't. I thought, and then covered my sadness with a smile. I'll be back on Sunday morning. You probably won't even be up by the time I'm back from the airport. His deep voice rumbled as he chuckled and ruffled my hair. I smiled up at him. What time again? I might surprise you. I asked nonchalantly. I wanted to double-check his arrival time just in case I could make my plan work. I needed to know what kind of time parameter I had. I fly in at 7.30 a.m. on Sunday. Bastards at work are cheap. You'd think they'd do better than a red-eye out of Geneva. He brushed his suit jacket free of lint, then bent down to kiss me. I savored the kiss. His full, sensuous lips felt just as soft and sweet as the first time we'd kissed in college. I ran my hand down his cheek, feel the feel of his skin always so smooth right after his morning shave. The scent of him blended with his aftershave filled me with desire, and I had to fight back sobs threatening to well up from my belly. Then the slightest hint of vodka made its way past the toothpaste and mouthwash and I reminded my gut that I was leaving for a reason he couldn't know or things would get violent fast one of us would end up dead the kids needed a parent and right now I was the most functional of the two of us I leaned into his kiss imprinting the feeling of our bodies near each other, the softness between us, the right fit of us, relaxing into his body. He had no idea this was the last time we'd kiss, hold hands, lean against each other. My heart broke thinking of how it would hurt him. I mentally chided myself for being weak. My self-protective brain tossed up memories from the night before of him slamming me against a wall and threatening to take the kids to Bahrain and have me deported to the States, his drunken growl punctuating each word as he spat at me that I would never see my children again. 
Armed with the memory of the previous night, I took a fortifying breath and ran my hand down his cheek one last time, then leaned in to kiss that smooth as a baby's bottom skin and whispered, safe trip, do take care of yourself. He turned and put his things in the car, got in and drove away, none the wiser for my plan to escape. Well, my need to escape, I had no plan, but I did have seven days to get out. I walked into the house while he watched, keeping my shoulders and back straight and walking slowly to the door. Tears streaming down my face made it so I never turned back to wave goodbye. When I got into the house, I shut the door and collapsed sobbing. My chest felt like it was breaking open. My throat tight with a scream of pain that could not escape. Until after several moments of laying on the floor cushions, mouth agape like a goldfish out of its tank, raw and guttural noises rose out of my belly and filled the house with the scream of despair. So began day one of the seven-day escape, my first step once I finished screaming and sobbing, a luxury I did not allow myself again for more than 16 years, was to get showered, changed into clothing befitting Mrs. Fahro, order a cab, and head to the U.S. Embassy in Dubai. I needed a letter from the embassy begging clemency on my behalf because Rashid had refused to complete my residency paperwork for the UAE, allowed my visa for Bahrain to lapse, and I had no exit visas for myself and my children. Yes, I did ensure they had U.S. passports, and yes, I always kept possession of our U.S. documents. People always ask these questions. I was well acquainted with what might go wrong if our marriage went sour for any number of reasons, so I never allowed my documents or the children's to be locked up for safekeeping. I knew I'd have to fight the embassy staff to get what I needed, even though the reach of the Fakro family wasn't as strong in the UAE as it was in Bahrain and Qatar, they are still a major force in the political and economic life of the Arabian Gulf. There was no way I could win a fight against the, that family in the Gulf, even if I was completely in the right. It would be hard enough to win the fight in the USA if they decided to throw their considerable clout and finances into the ring. But at least in the States, I, was, I had home team advantage. I was nervous, exhausted from lack of sleep from the night before, adrenaline-addled, and worried that somehow he'd have noticed something was off before he left for the airport. Fight or flight makes you twitchy. And though I was made up and looked every bit the Middle Eastern trophy wife as I approached the counter, the consular agent was less than respectful. I explained the situation, that I was facing domestic violence from a partner with substance abuse. I did not have proper documentation because he refused to do my residency visa and I needed clemency so the children and I could get safely to the United States. I'm sorry, 
I can't help you with a private matter, the consular agent said almost flippantly. I leaned into the counter and said sweetly, smiling dangerously, I don't think you understand. If I do not leave, I will die. We're not here to help with private matters, he said, the formal response. I smacked the counter. If I die, you will have hell to pay. My family will have your job and retirement. For God's sake, just give me a damn letter so I can get out of here. My voice raised and no longer sweet, sweat beating on my upper lip. I could feel my armpits getting wet and my knees were shaking. My stomach gurgled, threatening to lose its contents if I f- and I forced myself into composure. We can't lie to a foreign government, the man said with a straight face. That was it. I had it. I began laughing hysterically. Oh, come on, I shouted. Bill Clinton just lied to the whole damn country. Plus, it's your job to lie to a foreign government. I was trained in misinformation. Don't bullshit me. My voice now loud, edgy, and ready for the fight. Ma'am, if you don't calm down, I will ask the Marines to arrest you he threatened. I felt my eyes twinkle dangerously, and I smiled and whispered harshly, that's great. What do I have to do to get arrested on federal charges? I do that, and you have to repatriate me and my children. I don't care if it lands me in jail. Then, as if possessed, I began to sing very loudly the words to the freedom song, My country, tis of thee. The counselor agent was besides himself. If he arrested me, he was going to deal with bad press. He could smell it. His career was going to be in jeopardy. But also, he didn't want to help me. So that was it. I got the letter, by the way. Uh, He didn't want to deal with me too much anymore. I got louder and louder. And finally, I gave him the wording. I said, if you don't know how to write the information, let me help you. We have a family emergency. We need to get back to the States. I said, that's enough for them to grant it. Just get me the letter. And he did. And so on day one, heartbreaking. I got my letter from the U.S. Embassy to give to immigration in Dubai. Writing this story has never been easy. It's why I haven't written it. Um, it's easy enough to say it. People, people want to assume because my late ex-husband was an alcoholic and had other substance abuse issues that, and how dysfunctional it was and all the crap that went down that, you know, it... it that I should have just been able to move on. But, you know, love isn't a rational thing. And as I make my coffee at almost 11 at night, um, love isn't a rational thing. We loved each other so much. Um, Years later, when he was in the hospital and in a coma, 
the relatives would call and tell me, when we, tell, when we say your name, Laurie, he smiles. He doesn't respond to anything else. And so when people would say, you know, call him the drug addict or dehumanize him somehow to be on my side, I never wanted that. Because when you can be in a coma and smile when somebody says a name, that just shows what we had. We loved each other very much. And, uh, you know, both of us kind of lost our lives there. He lost it permanently. I lost a good 20 years of mine by shutting down and not letting myself feel or live and still trying to protect my kids, you know, that it was contentious for quite a while and trying to keep them safe and figuring life wasn't really worth living without love. It was quite something. So, like I said, there's no way I can tell either story on their own because they're not complete. It took 20 years. But the one story led into the other. And um, we may not be able to get Rashid back and healthy and alive. But his kids can lead good lives. And I can lead a good life. Because sometimes I can feel him around me. And when I'm happy, I feel him beaming. And he'll always be my bright, shining young boy, even though it got ugly, even though it got down to him or me. I will always love him. And that is the legacy I want to leave in this book, that it, it was never about love. It was about, it was about raising those kids. And it took me a much longer time to decide I kind of wanted to live my life and, and enjoy it. And so this book covers the gamut, the complexity of feeling, the complexity of emotions, the healing process, the journey, what it's like to let yourself mourn 16 years after something happens. And to know that love doesn't die, that you can live and love people and not have that happily ever after like the storybooks say but you can live happily ever after in your own self in your own life and that's something I think that's worth sharing alrighty well I'm going to go dry my eyes and finish writing that first chapter it was a bitch of one to write it's hard to write and cry at the same time Anyway, I am L.A. Rivers. You can join me on Patreon, Twitter, um, here at the podcast. I want to thank you for listening.